Salutations, everyone, and welcome to another episode of How You Feeling, a podcast dedicated to exploring emotional intelligence in a practical and useful way. As always, I'm your host, Dr. C, and I'm so excited to be here with you. Today, we are talking about solution-focused thinking. This is part two of our, of our two-part exploration on how thinking affects our state of mind. And so I'm excited to sort of jump to perhaps the more positively focused one. As always, we're joined by our favorite co-host, Dr. Jeff Haverland. Jeff, how are you feeling? Hey, so, you know, it's interesting because I was looking at this whole, you know, kind of uh, emotional wheel and realizing that initially I, I kind of had a problem-focused uh, vantage point, um, you know, because I'm a bit bit overwhelmed by trying to get the on half online, half in-person high flex model to work normally. Um, but then I realized that I'm actually kind of thankful though. Like I, I have weight, like I got into teaching to physically face-to-face teach kids. And, you know, it, it was, it's been a long time since we've been back in a classroom. I don't, you know, you never know how long it's all going to last, but, but I guess deep down, I'm really thankful that it's just, they're here. <laughs> so yeah. Um, what about you? Uh, well, I was going to say my, my, my feeling today is one of excitement because I think like you, there's a certain energy you get from being in front of other people, especially as an educator. And while it's a little different, um, my class today seemed very encouraged to be there as well and very enthusiastic. And so I think like other things, once we just sort of get past the fact that we're all wearing face coverings, it'll be like they're not there. And I think if we can normalize it, then we'll just sort of move on and and it'll be hopefully close to what we would like it to be. So, so yeah, I'm very excited that the first day of school is here. I, my wife took a, uh, you know, a first day of school picture of me this morning and I was counting in my head what year this makes for me at UD and longer than some, but short, shorter than others. But, you know, I'm starting my ninth year as a, as a, college professor and it just blew my mind like where did the last nine years go like I can't believe it you know and and I say this to people and I'll say this to you and in front of the podcast universe but I am a big believer that if you do what you love you don't work a day in your life and and I think that's part of the reason is I don't feel like I've been here nine years because every day is something I look forward to doing right um and so it's been been very magical that way that that I've made it to nine years and, and don't have any signs of slowing down. So, well, good. So, yeah. So, as I mentioned at the top of the episode today, we're talking about solution-focused thinking, uh, and I and I always like talking about this topic because it tends to be very uplifting and it tends to help focus our minds and, and typically in a time when we might need a refresh. And so, to get us started, Jeff, why don't you tell us what does it mean to be solution-focused? So, you know, the, the solution focus to me is kind of like that, you know, initially I always looked at it like this eternal optimist kind of thing, but, but really it, I think it's a little more complex than that, that, you know, it, it's a state of mind that tends to be really productive in nature because we have to hold these empowering core beliefs um, about ourselves. And so, you know, this whole idea that I am in control of what I can control um, and you can control your thoughts and your feelings and your behaviors. And, and really outside of that, you know, you, you may assume you have control, but, 
but you don't necessarily have that. And so if you can take care of yourself in terms of thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, then, then you become more solution focused. Um, and that it's really just this constant uh, need or drive to improve. And, and so it, you know, when we, we really start to dig it apart, we look at these empowering core beliefs that go along with it, because we've talked about with problem focused, we talked about core beliefs with that. And with solution focused, we're also dealing with these core beliefs, but now in a more empowering way. And so, you know, that we are worthy and deserving of what um, comes to us or what we are a part of. Um, we are able um, having this ability to do something or being competent at it. Um, it's funny, I read that and I think that it's kind of the, the opposite side of that imposter syndrome, you know, where, where you really are able and you're, you're worthy of being where you're at and because you are competent at what you do. Um, and it also brings up this empowering belief of being caring, um, where you can take care of yourself and others. Um, I think it's really important that the take care of yourself precedes that because, you know, you got to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. And then, you know, this whole notion of growth that we are constantly growing um, because we have this drive to become better than who we are right now, or at least maintain, you know, what we really like about ourselves or are, are happy with ourselves at that moment. But, but this growth mindset, so to speak. And so, um, you know, if we're worthy, if we're able, if we're caring, if we're growing, then we are able to take care of our thoughts, feelings, and emotions and behaviors. And, and that helps us be a better person in relationships. And so what about, sure. what would you add to all that? Well, I want to, I want to jump on one thing and then sort of add one thing. So I, I love you, you saying the, I can control what I can control. And I want to just reemphasize that because that in and of itself takes time to live into, because I think a lot of us early on operate from a, I need to try to control everything. And not only is that horribly energy sapping, um, but it really sometimes can take the focus off the things that we need to be focusing on. Um, and so I think, you know, as we say in a lot of our introductory material, you can't control the environment and you can't control other people and how they handle situations, but you can always control your reactions. And whether that's behavioral reactions or thought slash emotion reactions, we are in control of that. And as we start to realize that more, I think that's when we really start to see emotional intelligence bloom within us because then we're really starting to focus on what our sphere of influence is. And then the thing I wanted to add, and I love that you, you pointed out the four sort of core beliefs related to this. And one of the ways that I like to think about it, and this might help some of our listeners, is I like to think of those four core beliefs as like life, um, like those, uh, you know, you go to a, a pool at a hotel and it has like the styrofoam ring, right? The, the lifesaver rings yep. uh, as, as a means of if you are feeling problem focused or if you are are in a period of self-doubt that any one of these four core beliefs can be a lifesaver for you. So, boy, why can't I figure out this math problem? Okay, well, hold on. What are the parts of it that I am able to do? So rather than looking at 
sort of the big picture. Let's try to to focus to a more specific part of that and grab on to what I do know so that at least I can get that far in the process and then ask for help with the part that I don't get. Um, or especially the worthy is a big, big one, like especially with this virus going on and as isolating as sort of life has become for many of us. When you lose the, the human interaction piece, I think we lose some of our feeling of worth because some of us sort of derive that from others in our, in our sphere of influence and in our village. And so to remember that you are worthy of love and you are worthy of attention. And and sometimes that can be the lifesaver that we grab, grab onto. And so that's how I sort of think about these two is in, in periods of sort of negative thinking, I try to find an element of one of these four core beliefs that I can grab onto to help pull me out of that. Well, that's good. And I think you, you've kind of already gone into the next um, kind of the next topic to, to think about. But but maybe just to be really clear about it, how how can you recognize if you're solution focused? Yeah, well, I, and you're right. I probably did bleed into that one and I apologize. But, um, you know, I think just to reiterate what I said, I think that that you can kind of feel that you're in that flow when you're really just focusing on the things that you have control over, you know, and I think especially in, in our work setting, in the school setting, you know, it's very easy to, for, of that. And it's very easy to essentially take on other people's problems and issues. And, and, you know, as you and I have said many times on this podcast, you can't pour from an empty jug. And I think that's largely what the problem focused mindset keeps us in is trying to create energy to give when there's no energy left and i think that that we we can realize that we're in solution focused thinking and that we can recognize that that we are focusing on those positive core beliefs when when we are realizing that they're being used for things that have an immediate impact on what we're doing yeah, I think you you really hit that that on the head there. So then let's if, if if we're if we're on the same page that way, then how about you tell us about a time when you you know you were being solution focused and kind of what what was the result of that? So I guess in general, um, you know, I think of and you know even though the words we're looking at are like worthy, able, caring, and growing, but you know I find it sometimes with tasks even run-of-the-mill tasks you know i tend to like to tinker around i like to you know if i need to learn how to to wire an outlet i'm going to learn how to wire an outlet because i need to do it and so um you know even thinking from that vantage points the times i've been electrocuted because i've been doing it wrong um but i look at it like fine yeah i might get cut i might get electrocuted you you might get burned you might get all of that stuff but in the end, you really kind of learn these valuable lessons, not just of being able to do the physical act, but but having that um, the wherewithal to just keep plugging away rather than giving up, saying I can't do it or wrecking something or, you know, just getting into this rut. And so, you know, but so for me, that's kind of my my everyday mode of wanting to try something and um, and really just sticking with it rather than going to that automatic well i can't pull this off or i can't do this but but i think in terms of you know anytime anytime i think i've ever interviewed um you walk into those interviews and you are 
you know, you really, you really do have options in terms of your mindset. You know, you hear of growth mindset and you hear of fixed mindset. And then, you know, you think of this whole idea of um, problem focused, where it's more of a fixed mindset that you are, are not capable. You are not, you know, you do not have the worth and all of that. But when you, when you go into these interviews, if you can really slip into this growth mindset of, and, you know, become a solution focused person where, you know, I am worthy of being here. I understand that you have a lot of good candidates who are applying for this job as well. And they are all worthy probably of being here, getting an interview, but you have to hold yourself in, in company with them. Otherwise, I really deep down believe you can sabotage your, your the, the outcomes of that. And so, you know, then you, you get a job and once you're in that job and you start to feel like you aren't necessarily, you know, if you're really being challenged, it's easy to say, well, I'm just not able to do this. I'm incapable of doing it. And, you know, we've talked about imposter syndrome before, but, but it's really kind of digging in and being able to actually just be okay with yourself, knowing that you, you were worth the, the risk they took hiring you. You are fully competent. You're fully able. And even though it just might take a little extra work, you're, you're really able to get right down and do it. And then, you know, I, I think going along with that whole job experience is, you know, you have to be somebody in order to be really solution focused. You have to be somebody who is able to care for themselves and care for others. And then, you know, as you work your way through an organization, this whole idea of growth that you're constantly growing, because if you're not, you know, I heard a, there's a quote, and I, I don't know if it was Stephen Covey or who said it, but good is the enemy of great. Um, and in, in teacher education, this was a big mantra, because for the longest time, we were like, like teacher education, teaching in Iowa was considered to be an amazing, like if you were a teacher from Iowa, getting a job anywhere else was really not a problem because we were really high up in terms of, of the work we did and how students learned. And we were really good and we stuck with good and we quit growing. And while we were stuck being good, other people were picking up their slack. They were fixing things. They were changing their delivery. And all of a sudden Iowa took a fall because we were now, um, you know, we're still stuck on good while everybody else is growing and getting better. And eventually they became great and we stayed good, which by default kind of pushed us back time to get back to work. And so I look at this whole solution focus thing from the lens of, of a career, um, whether from getting the job all the way through to the end of it, because it's all about being solution focused. So, yeah. so what about you? What would you add to that or maybe change about that or? Yeah, well, well, firstly, when you started your talk, I immediately flashed back to uh, Finding Nemo. Uh, and, I, and I think the very root of, of solution-focused thinking is, you know, that just keeps swimming. Yep. Um, because, and actually, if I can, I was watching a professional wrestling program yesterday. And one of the, the, the main guys on the show has a real-life injury. And he just won the championship uh, last weekend and now has this, this separated shoulder, like legitimately, and, and now cannot wrestle for a period of time. And he was giving his sort of announcement of, I can't wrestle for now. Like, I have to give the belt up, that sort of thing. And what he said that really stuck out to me is, you know, for a lot of people, the, you know, the, the, the journey the journey is shaped. How did he say it? 
essentially what his point was that stuck out to me is that to him, the obstacles were his, were his path, not a pet trying to avoid obstacles on your path. And, and, and it's, it's the, the, the growth points and the times that we don't understand things and the times that, that we are challenged that shape us and our character more than the path of least resistance. And I thought, you know, what a, what a very timely message from a very like unorthodox source for me to hear that, to go, you know, there, you know, as I like to say, and I, and I tell my students this to me, I don't think there's ever such thing. You don't ever lose. You just learn. So either you did it right or you found a way not to do it to try again. And so that reminded me of uh, one of my very favorite quotes, and I'm sure I've shared it on the podcast in prior episodes, but, you know, Thomas Edison said, you know, I, I didn't fail 2,499 times when making the light bulb. I just found 2,499 ways not to make the light bulb. And the difference in that is so subtle, but that is the difference between problem focus and solution focused thinking, because if he stopped at 2499 and 2500 was the winning way, he would have never got there. Yeah. And, and then, then that reminds me of an image that I've, I've shared before, too, of two miners digging in a mine and each one on their next swing is about to find the gold. And one guy is turning back because he's already swung 100 times and not found anything. And the guy below him is going to give it one more shot. And I think. That to me is really the root of what we're talking about here is the desire to grow and the desire to learn and the desire to, you know, oh, I didn't get it the first time, but, but, but I know I can get it the second time. But in saying that, as you said, with the whole Pollyanna thing, it is 100% okay to sit in failure. Like if, if, if you tried something that you thought you'd be able to do and you didn't do it and you're upset, be upset, be, you know, you can, you can grieve that process you can grieve that lack of success but then if you stop there that's the problem right. you know if, if it motivates you to try again or try a different way that's where the solution focused thinking comes from good yeah okay. I, well said so. well and i well and let me just jump in sorry to, to, to share a personal anecdote i suppose you know i think one of the the core beliefs that that hits me the hardest is that one about caring and i think as you said, as educators, we wear a lot of hats and many of them have nothing to do with the content that we teach. And I think for me, it's very easy to be lost in the lack of impact I'm making. And it's when I get an email or a student stops in or they, you know, um, heck, we had a, a, an orientation with all of our freshmen and one of the like student leaders of that group stood up unsolicited and spoke to spoke to me but but spoke to the fact that professors in general are, are good guys not bad guys and and they're you know they're here to help you in, in the ways that you need help and it just those are the times when i'm like no you know what what i'm doing is making a difference even if it's not articulated yeah and so i always find that that i can reach on to that caring safety line in those sort of circumstances. So that's one of the ones that typically resonates most strongly with me. Yeah. And I, yeah, it, this is a very, very interesting topic because I, I wonder, you know, cause we, like I said, Pollyanna, you talked a little bit about Pollyanna and, you know, you talked about it being okay to live in, in that failure um, for a bit, but, but, you know, I, 
I often wonder, and I don't, I'm not even asking you this to put you on the spot, but I, I wonder though, is there a point, is it okay to, to sometimes not be solution focused? Oh, I, I think 100%. I, I think, you know, I, one of the things I actually just read a quote and I shared it with a friend of mine the other day, cause I thought it was very relevant for their situation, but the idea that grieving in whatever form that takes doesn't have an expiration date. You never have to get over things that, that cause you grief and that cause you pain. And I think, yeah, there are, there are a lot of situations perhaps where you, you either don't want to be fixed or, or the thing doesn't need to be fixed, you know? And I think, I think one of the, the occasions that might, activate strongly for me is ending a toxic relationship. You know, I, I think that in another way, solution focused thinking can kind of take on the, well, look for the silver lining. Yeah. And I think that there are some situations and, and, and many relationships that there is no silver lining and the pain of ending those relationships or those situations is awful. And I'm not trying to minimize that in the least, but Sometimes things are broken beyond repair, and sometimes it's it's better to just move on from it and, and, and look for the next opportunity. You know, I think, you know, in marketing, we talk about, you know, a million dollars, you know, spending a million dollars on a bad idea won't help to make it a good idea. It's now just a million dollar bad idea. And we <laughs> need to know when to get out to move on, that some things just cannot be fixed. Um, and so, no, I, I think that especially in toxic relationships, that's something that I reflect on a lot of, you know, sometimes you just need to love people from a distance and there is no, no trying to fix it or trying to find the bright side because you can have all of the change of heart you want, but if that other person is not at that spot, it's, it's going to be for naught. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of where, you know, I was hoping you, you would take that because I, you know, you, the last thing we want to do is make people believe that, you know, to be a good human, you have to always have, you know, you always have to keep, you know, bumbling toward that end, you know, and, and being a solution focused person, but it, there are times, yeah, you, you kind of brought up um, grieving in that. And I, I, it was funny. I just had this conversation with a colleague of you and I or ours that um, yesterday about, you know, how people will tell you, like, people will be like, you know, you've, you've grieved long enough. You've been sad long enough. And I was talking about my, um, I had a cousin. I mean, I have a cousin who a month before his graduate, actually it was about a week before his graduation in high school. Um, he was a year ahead of me. Um, he got into a motorcycle accident and died. Um, and there, you know, it was really interesting listening to people say out loud, you know, now, now you got to, to his parents, his family, now you got to get over it and move on. And, and, you know, they're trying to find this solution to something that like, pardon me, but the day you're going to tell me to move on from grief like that, it'd be a pretty cold day in hell, you know? And so I, I get very, it's so interesting when people, you know, you try to be that solution focused person for a person who is struggling with a problem, but we also have to go back and say to ourselves, number one, do they actually want our solution focus? Is it appropriate at this time? And, and, you know, why, why does there have to be timelines on, on things like that? And so, you know, I, 
you got to be careful in, you know, I was asking students today about, you know, are you in life, are you a Tigger or an Eeyore? And it's always funny because most of them tend to glom toward Tigger and they're energetic, but you know, I have Eeyore moments. Well, we all have Eeyore moments. We all have problem focused moments and we all have these great solution focused moments, but they're not always appropriate at the same time. And so, um, yeah, it, it's just an interesting thing to me. I was kind of intrigued by how you grabbed that same point that was floating around in my head. Yeah, well, and I think, too, I think, you know, the 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 rainy side, the Eeyore side of life, I think that's what it means to be human. And I think that, you know, there are many of us who tend to be more positive than negative as sort of a default. But we all have things go on in our life that are are negative or saddening or 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 disappointing and you know i think for someone to look at you and say they've never had one of those well they're lying to your face but you know i I think that again the, the the ultimate sort of motive behind exploring emotional intelligence is not to never be sad but it's learning effective and personalized strategies to help us manage those emotions more effectively uh, and certainly timing has a lot to do with it. And, and you know, like, like as, as I say timing, I mean, you know, you get bad news of some phase in your life on your way to. Yep. If you still need to go to work, you know, we kind of have to learn how to compartmentalize that bad news till we have some time to debrief on it and so it's never that we shouldn't feel sad or mad or angry or disrespected but hopefully as we learn more about emotional intelligence we can just find more appropriate ways to manage those emotions and even on the good side too right like nobody likes the person that's always like hey hey what's going on and you know it's always sort of big teeth and, and bright smiles and so there's there's ways to do that too but you know i think that sort of is the the ultimate message of of being emotionally intelligent is just finding strategies that work for you that help us manage those emotions better yeah and i'll you know one quick story you know i i've and i hopefully i haven't talked about it on this already but you know with my son going away to college i just did not deal well with it and I remember that second day coming home and his door was shut and it made me really sad because he wasn't in there. And then I went to do the dishes and he usually unloads the dishes. And when I opened the dishes, the dishes were full and there was nobody to like chew on because the dishes were there. And then I lost everything. I started crying and I, I, I looked at my wife and I'm like, what in the hell is wrong with me? And it was, it's funny. Like, I think I'm really good with, um, this whole emotional intelligence, but it was her saying, there's nothing wrong with you right now. You're sad and it's okay to be sad. And eventually you'll work through that. And so like, it was the most spot on, like I probably should have paid her for the, her diagnostics at that moment because I felt like such a failure. Like I couldn't hold my crap together. And my son is, you know, an hour and a half away. It's not like he moved to the moon. And, but it is that recognition that we cannot always operate from this perfectly functioning you know happy no issue person um and sometimes we get overwhelmed by our feelings and and it's okay to slide into you know maybe away from a solution focused because it's really hard for me to say to myself oh quit being a wuss you know suck it up quit crying you know move on well in time that's happening 
but it wasn't the time then. So sure. just an interesting aside for me anyway. No, no. And I think that's speaking to the point, you know, and I think too, um, I'm reminded of, and, and I won't, I can't, nor will I recite the whole thing because I don't remember it all. But, you know, essentially the, the message being that sadness is necessary because sadness lets us know what it means to be happy. Right. Like like it's that whole yin and yang, like you have to have one side of the spectrum to be able to appreciate the other side of the spectrum. Yeah. For all the for all the people that hate crowds and noise and all that, you know, I think that this quarantine and, and, and self isolation probably has caused a lot of them to be like, well, you know what? A little bit of noise isn't so, so bad. Yeah. And so I think it's just it's just a matter of perspective. And it's just knowing that trying to experience as full a range of emotions as we can really helps us to appreciate and call on the other side of that when the situation is right. Absolutely. So, so tell, Oh, good. No. So, okay. Cause I don't know if we've really talked about this quite yet. So if yeah. I had you, you fixed me, but so what about being around somebody who's solution focused? Well, sure. You know, I, I think that, that those, in many settings, those are people that you want to gravitate towards, because I think those are people who are looking for ways to get things done. I think those are people who largely don't take excuses for answers. I think those are people that typically are empathetic and, and, and care about you as people and not like one of the things I have the hardest time reconciling in teaching a business subdiscipline is this idea of a department called human resources. <laughs> because I I am very big in the power of words and I'm very big in the power of um, nomenclature. And that term just so dehumanizes what employees are to an organization. And it's not on purpose, but I think when you think of some of the best leaders and the best coaches and the best mentors I think that they probably are people who are more solution focused than not because they're willing to find a way to make it work despite the availability of resources. They're willing to spend the time with you because you're a human and you matter to them. They're willing to help you find an avenue to grow if the door you really wanted to work through has all of a sudden been shut. And I think those are just people that that people gravitate towards naturally because there's just a motivating and, and a charismatic function about them. Um, and, you know, I know it's something I try to live into because um, I very much see that as, as my path, but I know I'm not there all the time. But, you know, I think that, that you know, when you see people that sort of attract crowds many times, not all the time, but many times they are people that tend to be solution focused because they're people of action and they're people of looking for ways to to improve relationships and, and maintain and, and nurture uh, relationships and, and positions and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. What would you add to that? Well, I know I, I don't think there's a lot to add because you're right. They are the people we tend to be drawn to. Um, we also know that, you know, if you're not in need at that moment of somebody with a solution focus, you have to be empowered enough to maybe not engage with that person at that time until you are in a place where, you're comfortable being at that level of solution focus that they're at. And so, you know, we've talked about it before. It's really just knowing yourself enough to be able to navigate all of this. Well, and I think too, being solution focus is 
you know, I think of, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Like, I, I kind of see those that do it well as having like a mutant power or like a sixth sense. And I think as much as people want to gravitate towards those who are solution focused, it's equally incumbent on the solution focused person to to not to, to channel their need to fix or help to the right situations. Right. Like, so, you know, I think that, you know, we, we should be equally mindful that, like you just said, not everybody wants to be fixed or that they, not everybody wants advice or, or a solution. And so we have to if, if when we're in the flow of solution focused thinking, we need to also keep our eyes and our and our ears and our hearts open to those that maybe want to be in the periphery, but don't necessarily want our help. Right. So tell me then. What kind of an impact do you think our relationships have or, 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 or what, what, how do our relationships look when we are operating out of solution focused states of mind, maybe versus not? Well, I, I think in general, I guess your, your relationships are probably going to look, I mean, they're going to be more encouraging. They are uh, potentially going to be more supportive. They um, are going to value, you know, if you're in a relationship and you are in a place of um, operating on a solution focus, you are going to help people see the value, the worth, everything about themselves in that situation. And so I think it has a really positive effect on relationships. Um, again, though, I always have that caveat that it, it you can, this can be a, a troublesome point if both people are not in that realm and you know i think of like even with uh relationships like my wife and i if if she just needs me to listen to her and not necessarily puff her up or give her ideas for how to fix it if she just needs me to allow her to be problem focused at that moment i have to learn to read the room on that not simply just you know, having her tell me that, listen, I don't want your opinion right now. I need to be able to take in all of the other things I know about her or my friends in general that that tell me that, hey, might not be the time to start looking for that silver lining. And so I think if you are emotionally intelligent, I think if you are, you know, if you can read the room and are savvy about just understanding where people are and where they're coming from, I think being solution focused is very powerful but you also need to know when you got to back off of it a little bit, a little bit. Now sure. you can't be, you know, you don't want to back off to the other side where they're problem focused. You don't want to jump in and be problem focused too, because you just dig deeper in the mud. But maybe at that moment, you don't, the, your sole focus is that person, not necessarily trying to, you know, implement their, or uh, provide them with this feeling of, of growing and being capable, but rather that you're just there and you're paying attention. And so, sure. but I think that all comes with time and experience and mistakes. You know, we've all been there where somebody's problem focused and you immediately, immediately jump into solution focus and you tell them exactly how they should go about it. And they so did not want your opinion at all. And your opinion without any other context that you have on that story or that experience may be horribly inappropriate. And so you're telling somebody to fix something that they actually can't fix does not help them move to a better place. And so right. I, I just think it is it is a really important impact on relationships 
but you also need to know when to step up and when to scale back. Sure. Well, and I think too, I think to me, I quote at the root of solution focused thinking is those that do it well, listen to learn, not to respond. Uh-huh. And I think I know, I know I've harped on that quite a bit on this podcast, but it just, every time I think, oh, I can put that on the back shelf for right now, it reemerges as being so, so necessary. And, you know, I'm thinking a lot, I think a lot on that, especially now with our social climate, our political climate, the, the health climate of the virus and all that. And so many people want to make a point and they want to jump on a bandwagon. And I think if we do more listening to learn, perhaps some of those points get addressed and we're just listening for buzzwords instead and want to just get our jab in. And that's <laughs> not, not helpful to relationship building. Yeah, I agree. So how do you then maintain a solution focused state of mind? We know it's important in relationships, um, but how do you keep it up? How do you balance that, you know, that, whether you are it or whether you're scaling back or, you know, how do we maintain it? Well, I think it all goes back to the, the little quote you provided at the beginning of the talk. And that's, we can maintain that state of mind when we focus on controlling what we can control. And for any human being, that is their own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. You know, I think that's really what it boils down to. You can't, you know, you know, I think of things like group projects and, and, you know, committees or teams that we're a part of. And you'd love to be able to get everybody in sync. But at the end of the day, you can only do what you're able to do and, and hope that the example that you're setting will rub off on others. But you can't guarantee that any more than someone else's behavior rubbing off on you. And so I think, at least in my frame of mind, um, I'm able to maintain solution-focused thinking when I'm focusing on affecting what I'm able to affect. That's good. What about you? So, you know, I'm kind of thinking it from this, it was, it's a weird thought and I'm afraid, I'm, I'm hoping I can tie it back around because it, it kind of struck me, but I think of like, um, coaches and that who are, you know, you're, I've coached a long time and you're always on your kids about keep trying, keep your head up, do this, do that, do this. But, but I think if we, when we are being solution focused, if we are not providing real life supports to help people get better. So if I think you can hit a home run, I know you can hit it. I can feel it, but I've never really corrected anything about your swing, anything about your stance. If you overexert yourself, if you're not doing things the way your body wants you to do them, then you may never hit a home run, no matter how many times I tell you to hit a home run. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, everything you say, you keep telling me I can hit a home run, but I can't hit a home run. So maybe I can't even really trust what you're saying in all of this. And, and I think, so for me, if I'm going to maintain a solution focus, I have to have tricks or um, strategies in my pocket that allow me to help whoever I'm with 
you know, or give them an opportunity to look at it a different way or, or attempt it a different way, or even in the ter- in terms of coaching to help them fix what's going wrong or want to get better. Because no matter how many times you sit down, I think of all the little league games where I would be like, you just have to care. You just have to care and you'll win. And what does that even mean? That doesn't mean squat to a, a nine-year-old, you know? And so you, you've got to get to this point where then you'll be like, okay, so we need to try a different strategy. We need to try a different, different methodology or game, or, you know, it's, it's really just about having, having more in your pocket than, than um, like good advice and sage wisdom. And, and so that's how I maintain it just because I've always been a, you know, even as a principal, I, for me, if you were going to come with a problem, I always ask that you brought a solution too. You don't have to jump out of your problem focus, but I at least want you to think in terms of what you could, what could be done better that might lead to helping with this problem. That way you're in a better zone to kind of have a conversation rather than you telling me why it's horrible and me trying to defend that. Now we can have a conversation about you telling me it's horrible, but hey, did you ever think of trying it this way? And so I, I maintain it because I, I try to have more available besides that superficial, you know, just keep going, you know, kind of. Sure. Thing. No, and I, I know you've said that before, but I love that about your approaches. I'm okay with you coming to complain about something, but I also want you to come with some thinking on, on how we might be able to work on. I love that. I love that. Well, good. Well, any other final thoughts before we, we issue our listener call to action? No, I, I, I'm, I don't have any one, any final ones. How about you? No, I, I think we, we did a really good job exploring this. Um, you know, I, I hope that when paired with last episode's talk, uh, we can start to see, you know, ways that, that, that we can be potentially damaging in our state of mind, ways to rescue ourselves, and just the understanding that it's okay to be on both sides. Um, and, and again, the trick is knowing when to move on to the next thing. And that's where we see growth in emotional intelligence is when we realize, okay, I've, I've grieved for now. I need to get some work done. And when that work is done, I can return to the grieving in whatever way that is. Absolutely. So, okay. So listeners, now it's your turn. Uh, And similar to last week, uh, our call to action is in the vein of wanting to know what are some of the ways that you all maintain your solution focused thinking? What are some of the strategies that work for you? Certainly this is not a one size fits all topic. And I think part of the fun of us asking that question for you all is for us to learn other ways for us to try. You know, I think that's one of the beautiful things about emotional intelligence is you're never done. Uh, There's always new ways to learn the material or engage with the material. And so I think this would be a cool question for us to see your feedback to know, oh, maybe I'll try that next time. So, yeah, tell us some of the ways that you maintain a solution-focused state of mind when you get challenged. And, again, you can send those responses to one of two places. Either our podcast email address, howyoufeelingpodcast at gmail.com, how the letter U, feeling podcast at gmail.com, or at our Twitter handle at HUF podcast. Either place, we would love to interact and engage with you, and we look forward to hearing those thoughts. So, Jeff, if people want to hear more from you on social media, how can they do it? 
Um, find me on Twitter at Haverland J. And how can they find you? And they can find me all over the Twitterverse at KP Katani. Well, for all of us here at the podcast, we thank you so, so much for spending some time with us. As always, please take care of yourself. Please continue to look out for your village. And thanks again for listening to another episode of How You Feeling?